And a fly ball to right center field. It's well hit, and it is gone. A three-run home run from Ellinger. We've got a new game. It's tied at five. It was just a very strange, for me, place to be. It was like I was pitching in two different games almost at, at one point. Because, you know, after I, they told me I was out, um, and just because the, the, the juxtaposition between the first inning and the rest of it was just very extreme. Correa taps it weakly, third base side, off the mound, Perez. He fields, guns at the first, and it hits Correa. Rolls down the right field line. And another run will score as Bregman comes home. And the Astros' lead is 8-2. to two. He was going to give us one inning, and we fell right there in that pocket. It was good for him. I wasn't going to use him in extra innings because then I attempted to use him for six. So uh, I decided to use him in the ninth, and uh, you know, it didn't work. I'm just glad that we didn't quit. You know, what a job our bullpen did. You know, it was 2-1 to one for a long time. You know, the great job by, you know, by Rayleigh. You know, just a great job overall, you know, you know by the whole team. And uh, we got another big game uh, tomorrow. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. There you go, buddy. It's your team. What do you think? God, that was a nightmare of a game. You're wearing the shirt today. Yeah, wearing, I've been wearing a shirt every day for the past, like, two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm I'm the unobservant. Observant? Obs- <laughs> I'm the one who doesn't pay attention. I own, like, 15 Astros. I'm just oh, I was gonna say, go. yeah, you haven't you haven't worn that one for yeah. two straight weeks. You have different ones. Yeah, different ones, just rolling through them. Okay, all right. That was, yesterday was not good. They won. They're very happy they won. But until about the eighth inning, was not good. I was not happy. That was this has not been a good three. three I know your pen kind me. of locked them up there in the middle innings to kind of keep you in the game. Okay. Regular season, the Astros were good. Obviously, they have a good offense, but they were good because their starting pitching was very good. Like, almost every day you could count on the Astros, their starter would go five, give up three runs or less, and the offense scores a lot of runs. They win a lot of games. Bullpen was a nightmare throughout the course of the season. This series, the Astros' bullpen is unbelievable. They've had one bad game, and that was game uh, two, or game three, excuse me, where they everybody got rocked in that one. But other than that, the bullpen has been phenomenal for the Astros. i got to find the exact stat here. In the ALCS, the Astros' starters... ERA is 18.9. The bullpen ERA is 3.4. It's unbelievable how good the bullpen is getting. And yesterday they got seven more than seven innings, didn't give up a single run the entire time. Zach Greinke gives up a two-run home run in the first, and that is all that they scored. But Javier played. Christian Javier. Christian Javier amazing. came in, and it could have gotten away from you, Yeah, and it didn't. They got three innings out of a guy who hasn't thrown three innings in probably yeah. six months. And, oh, Javier also a fly ball pitcher in Fenway. That's one of the most horrifying things you could actually put out there. So very excited. Astros are coming back to win this series. Uh, I would, I, it, it feels dumb saying it, but like they have their starting pitching lined up, but their starting pitching has been terrible. So I don't think that's a good thing, but they've got their start. I mean, they've got their three starters ready to go for the last three games. I just, I would normally say that's a good thing, but it hasn't been in the okay. series. How bad was Laz Diaz? All right. Laz Diaz missed 21 ball strike calls yesterday. Uh, My goodness. They play nine innings, so that is more than a missed call per half inning. Um, The biggest one, or at least the Red Sox think the biggest one, was a 2-2 call to Jason Castro in the top of the ninth with two outs. Uh, Curveball that caught the corner of the plate, called a ball. Jason Castro, a couple pitches later, uh, drove in the game-winning run with a single (sighs) into right field. And then they kept scoring. 
Yeah, and then the Red Sox couldn't get an out, and Astros kept hitting them. Uh, scored seven runs after that. Uh, but 21 total missed calls, and he missed. Because here's the thing. You go back to the first inning uh, with two outs. Rafael Devers walked, and there was a blown call that gave him ball three. If he doesn't call that, it's a two-strike count. And then the next batter hits a home run for the Red Sox, and those were the only runs they scored. If he doesn't miss that call in the first, the Red Sox might not score the entire game. Might might have been shut out. Also, top of the first, uh, Michael Brantley was up, and a ball that was like two inches high of the zone was called a strike. Brantley ends up striking out on the next pitch. Alex Bregman hit a home run the next batter. If that's called a ball, Brantley might get on. It's a two-run home run. So a lot of missed calls, but the one that is getting the most attention is the one from Laz Diaz in the ninth inning. Uh, Yeah, so his... uh, I think he had the worst game by the umpire scorecard of any umpire so far this season. I would hope. My goodness, someone else is missing 23 ball strikes? (laughs) They might. In the postseason? Like where you're supposed to somehow in baseball find the best guys? They are not doing that. They're definitely not finding the best best home players. Brantley was huge. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was the Astros were offensively a nightmare for seven innings last night. Like they're the best fastball hitting team in the sport. Nick Pavetta, the Red Sox pitcher, is a f- heavy fastball pitcher, and he only throws it like 94, 95. Astros could not hit it. I did. I I did not comprehend what was happening. It's like they that's the guy they crush every time guy throws a bunch of fastballs. They crush Especially that guy. 94. Yeah. And they they couldn't hit it. I don't know what was happening. It took until they went to their bullpen and Altuve had a home run off Garrett Whitlock to tie the game. And then Alex Cora pulled a dust or pulled a Dave Roberts and brought in his game six starter in relief. And it didn't go very well. That's by the way, we've seen that twice. Now Dave Roberts goes to Julio Urias in the eighth inning and he gives up the game. Yesterday, Alex Cora goes to Nate Evaldi, who would start game six, probably will still end up starting game six for the ninth inning. And he gives up the game blows it. And it's two situations where managers go to their starters for one inning of work, two games before they're supposed to start instead of trusting one of their bullpen arms. Here's the part that I, I hate. I don't mind the unconventional use. I actually prefer the unconventional use of pitchers in the postseason. What I don't get in both of those scenarios is it's not like Julio Urias is significantly better than Blake Trinan. Right. And right. it's not like Nathan Avaldi is significantly better than all the Red Sox right. relievers, right? It's not like, oh, you're going to the Cy Young winner and the only bullpen arm left is a guy who had a it's seven guy. ERA. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, there are good relievers. The Red Sox bullpen actually isn't very good, but Nathan Avaldi isn't that dominant either. Like, there are relievers that can come in and get those outs. You don't have to blow it. And what I find fascinating is in both scenarios, the um, uh, the managers are making decisions to win one game in a seven game series. You have to manage to win four games. You have to win four games to advance. Winning one game doesn't do anything. Now, granted, Red Sox win last night. They're up three to one. They're in a great spot to advance, but you have to win four. You're managing to win four, not one. And we keep seeing that with managers where they go all in on like game two of a series. It's like, there's, there's might be five more of these things. You've got to be able to win more than just that game. Well, your team's guaranteed to go home. Yeah. I mean, win today. I, I mean, I don't know how much that's going to help them. Win today. Framber Valdez on the mound. Win today. Make it 3-2. Put this thing out of reach. It's going to be great. Oh, I'm excited. I'm very excited. By the way, can Dusty Baker use his best catcher for once? 
Boy, you don't like this guy. All right. No, no, he that's that is that is not true. He likes Dusty Baker, the man. Yes. Outside the man. of the four hours during the game, I like Dusty Baker a lot. He's a lot of fun as a oh, manager. I'm with you on that. I like Doc outside the game. During the game, oh my God, can somebody else make these decisions? Okay. Martin Maldonado is the Astros starting catcher. He hit about 170 something this year. Slightly better than Cody Bellinger. Slightly, yeah. Uh, Five points higher. He is now one for 23 in the postseason. Uh, he does not have a hit in the ALCS. His OPS plus in the regular season was 58. MLB average is 100. He was significantly worse than average. The backup catcher for the Astros is Jason Castro. His OPS plus in the regular season was 118. He's better than average. And Jason Castro has now reached in four of his six plate appearances in the postseason. All as a pinch hitter. He's got one home run, one single, and two walks. Jason Castro is significantly better than Maldonado. And the argument is that Maldonado is better defensively and he handles the pitching staff well. Pitching staff's gotten rocked. I don't. I I am so beyond that. It's... uh, (laughs) When Kershaw wasn't hurt, well, Austin Barnes has to catch him. Why? Because Will Smith's an idiot? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, wh- wh- why does he have to catch him? I'm so over personal these, catchers. these personal catchers. It's completely stupid. I, also, I, I hate personal catchers. I also would recommend uh, not hiring the personal catcher <laughs> as the manager ever. Just just, just, just putting it out there. Just, just putting it out there for your nothing team. to do with uh, your you team know. in Chicago. <laughs> Catchers know the game, Jared. Yeah, yeah. No, they we all the liked managers. him. Hey, why why did we hire him? We liked yeah, him. Yeah. That's why Dusty <laughs> Baker got hired. No, no, <laughs> Dusty Baker got hired because Dusty, are you gonna turn, are you gonna let your players do anything stupid like bang on a trash can? No, 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 I'm not. All right, we got Dusty. You're hired. <laughs> I don't think Dusty would stop them. I don't know if Dusty would know what's happening. Yeah, I don't think Dusty would. Yeah, I don't think he'd <laughs> I mean, know he what's might going not know on. What even the happening. Astros might be cheating, and hey, Dusty Baker would not Look at Jimmy. Know. He's fired up. He's a good team player. He's hitting, he's hitting stuff. Look at that. He's very excited about the game. He's clapping a lot. <laughs> he's clapping a lot. He's even whistling. <laughs> I don't think Dusty Baker would stop them. I am I'm excited. Told, listen, I told you yesterday, both the Astros and Dodgers were coming back to win their series. And you still believe it? Absolutely. They both won yesterday. What do you mean? Of course I still believe it. Of course. They both won yesterday. I'm, I'm, I want to be with you. Yeah, you know this, but I'm still closing my eyes. No, Dodgers get a win today. It's two two. Dodgers are gonna win like fifteen to one today. It's two two. And you said it's a bullpen day for Atlanta, right? It's a bullpen day against Urias. Oh, it's over. Why even play the game? Don't even show up. It's over. Be at the VGK game, watching nervously on the uh, right. on the laptop. Yeah, you don't, I don't, you don't even have, have to, watch to watch tonight. See? I don't even have to watch tonight. It's gonna be like six one in the first. <laughs> you just cakewalk. Cakewalk, uh, you know, they had a home run yesterday in the first and then stopped scoring. For yeah, Seager hits a home run. They don't get a hit until the ninth inning, <laughs> the eighth inning. <laughs> oh, poor Dodgers. They're going to be fine, Ed. They're going to be just fine. Best team gonna in baseball. Best team in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, how concerned are you that Max Muncie hasn't swung a bat? He won't be. Have you complete, he, no, I've completely, completely given up on okay. him. Okay. Because I saw he was, he was on. He got interviewed the very first game against the Giants, and he said, well, they all say this, you know, when we're in the World Series. They always, like, preface it with that because, you know, God forbid you say you're not going to make it. But he said maybe when we're on the World Series. When I heard that, I'm like, this guy's done. There was a report yesterday that he has still not swung a bat no. yet. No uh, the World Series starts next week. Yeah, uh, no. On Tuesday, I believe, would be game one. No. So if he hasn't swung a bat yet. He's not going to be in there. Yeah, seems unlikely that he would actually no. be able to play. And that's hurt, by the, the way. Nate, you, you made the point a couple times. I mean, Mookie's had a really good series. 
No one else can hit. Look at Trey Turner. The best he can I do mean, are infield singles now because he's so fast. I mean, <laughs> Muncie was the best hitter on the team this year. Absolutely. Yeah, so you take that guy out. It's still a good lineup. It's still a right. team that can win the World Series. But, it's yeah, it's... It's going to hurt because what? Gavin Lux has to play center yes. field? Like, well, <laughs> rather than Gavin Lux somehow played second base. I mean, oh, what a disaster <laughs> dropping that. What a disaster dropping that ball. What was that? It's Gavin Lux, baby. Oh, man. He's playing a guy out of position. Not knowing that. Completely the, out of position. Yeah, the sun was in his eyes man. and he was drifting. The shadows, man. The shadows, yeah, <laughs> there were no shadows in center field, just the sun. The wall was there. It got very intimidating for Gavin Lux and he dropped it. All right, coming up next, Sam and Ash joined the show. Did you know that I actually have a civil case against that that stole my husband? Don't sue a stripper. Why not? She's a stripper. Life sued her and she lost. Call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samandashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. Good morning, guys. What's up, you guys? How are you? Good. Good morning. morning. We're doing great. All right. We got to start with a story in Washington where Nick Rolovich, head coach for Washington State, uh, has been fired along with four assistants. Uh, There is in the state of Washington going to be a mandate that all state employees be vaccinated against COVID-19 that goes into place on Monday. And Washington State uh, fired Nick Rolovich over this because he is not vaccinated. He had applied for a religious exemption that was denied as well. Um, There is there's a report out today that his lawyer is uh, planning to sue Washington State for this. Does he have any case if there's a state mandate in place for state employees? It's interesting. I saw the articles uh, when he first announced that he was refusing to get it and he was fired. And then I saw the article you mentioned today out on ESPN that he is planning to sue. Um, his The basis for his case is that it's discriminatory and vindictive behavior. And they're being very vague, but they're, they're basing this on his religious beliefs. And he's trying to get an exemption under that concept. Because, of course, under our Constitution, if you can't get something that is mandated because of your religion and you lose your job, it's therefore discriminatory based on religion, and that's not okay. We we do not allow that in our country, and so that's what they're basing it on. And they're even saying that they have prior instances where the athletic director showed discrimination and vindictive behavior or discriminatory behavior based on his religion. So they're going to go after him for that, and it all depends on what kind of evidence they can prove. Okay, you might have answered my question there because my first reaction was, okay, you're suing the university and you're suing the AD, and I obviously was probably wrong about this, but my first reaction is, why aren't you suing the state who came up with the mandate? Like, can't the AD go in there and say, look, I'm just following the mandate. We have nothing to do with this. The mandate's out, and, you know, he has to lose his job. Is there anything to that? I'm always wondering, did he sue the wrong people? Well, I'm my position is he's focusing on this athletic director in the university because he's trying to take this beyond just the vaccine and that he was truly discriminated by um, the camp, the university for his religion. I think he's trying to prove a different case that there was more of a pattern of behavior of religious discrimination. And this vaccine mandate was just the little cherry on the top that resulted in his termination. Nick Rolovich has, uh, he did not answer the question when asked what his religion is. Uh, oh. I'm I'm curious. <laughs> I thought like, they said he's a devout Catholic. Well, the story I read, he did not answer, but he comes from a Catholic family. 
Oh, okay. Uh, so, I think, yeah, I read that he applied for the vaccine based on his devout um, commitment to Catholicism. What do you guys know about that in terms of what, what about Catholicism makes not getting the vaccine? Like, why is that part of the religion? Like, what's his argument for that? Well, thankfully, we've got two people here who went to Catholic school. Uh, three, my friend. Uh, three, my friend. Altar boy. Three? The, oh, three. Altar okay. boy of the year, my friend. Come on. So, so let's ask the Mormon. So, <laughs> uh, I, I would kind of assume that everyone was becoming a Jehovah's Witness right now who doesn't <laughs> want to get the vaccine. I thought that was going to be the program uh, to get on. Uh I have I have no idea. Okay. Ash, you you went to Catholic well, I, school, you, you know. I, Ed, yeah. I Ash was I, playing I, basketball. Come on, religion. Yeah, they, they don't teach classes. us anything yeah, in the. In the you, guys had, you had religion classes, um, right? Yeah, we did. I don't recall this. I know there. I remember Catholicism was what spearheaded the the debate on. Um, what was it, the mandate on health insurance because it forced insurance for procreation and abortion things, that that was totally against Catholicism. Here, I don't know what the, I don't know what the basis is under Catholicism. It's beyond my little high school religion experience. I don't even remember religion class, yeah. so, I mean, I, there's no <laughs> chance I remember any of that. But I, that is not funny about Catholicism, but yeah, and when Sam says Jehovah Witness, I could see that more because I'm trying to think about all, and I went to Catholic school Oh, one through 12. And if you ask me why they would say I can't get the vaccine, I would have no idea where that fell under Catholicism. Right. But I will say, I think that's why they're trying to predate this to before the vaccine mandate. They're trying to say there was a pattern of behavior of discrimination and um, vindictive behavior between the athletic director toward Rolovich, the coach, and that it had nothing to do with necessarily the vaccine. It was really based on his religion and, so, and his beliefs. And who knows what it could have been? Maybe he couldn't have early morning Sunday practices because he would go to oh. church or something like that. So I think the lawyer are actually kind of making this a little bit more interesting by trying to broaden the scope and say, look, it's this truly isn't about the vaccine. It's about a an AD who is discriminating against uh, the, the coach and use this vaccine mandate as a kind of a reason to get rid of him. In, uh, in the SEC, there was a game that got delayed about 20 minutes in the fourth quarter because Tennessee fans uh, would not stop throwing pretty much anything they could get their hands on onto the field of play. Now, the SEC this morning has fined Tennessee $250,000. I know there were multiple arrests uh, that were made at the game. I Very specific question. Can you be arrested or charged with something different based on what object you throw? Uh, yeah, if it's an incendiary device, <laughs> it's going to be different than if you're throwing a Dodger dog, right? Um, although... That's a great I, take. Uh, it, it has to do with... It, well, that wasn't a joke. I'm just saying it, if it does depend on the kind of harm it would be expected to cause. And so I'll tell you, you, th you throw a Dodger dog at somebody, it's it's an assault. It's an it's a harmful or offensive touching. You um, throw a bottle. You throw a bottle, it can be it can be attempted murder, right? Because that can cause some severe injury. So yeah, don't don't throw any heavy objects. Don't throw bowling balls off of balconies. Um, and uh, don't throw anything. Would Be a you, good person. How how dangerous would you consider a golf ball? Because Lane Kiffin got oh, hit by very. a golf ball. Okay, that's up on All the right. list. All right. That's, yes. No, have for you ever example, been hit? By, I mean, I've been hit by a golf ball. It's not. Oh. For example, oh. Well, if Sam, you, if Sam you play should have called golf. That, Sam should have called out four. 
Yeah. Sam should not be playing golf, I think, is where you guys want to go with this. because yeah. His golfing is like your driving, Ed. Oh! Wow. I, am to the, I am to the fairway what you are to the roadway. <laughs> so, so it was, you're the one that hit her with a golf ball? No. No, no, no. no she knows to duck. I know. I, I, I know to stand way. 10 feet behind Sam okay. when he's golfing. You, you guys know this, right? That Ash is a phenomenal golfist. Was is golfist where whereas i am literally the worst golf player that ever existed it's just a golfer and golfist i like that way better but you see but the thing is everyone because there's a preconception right that that you know whatever that you know, they see a blonde girl and they think you know whatever she's not going to play i love it so if this is the tr this is the trick if if you ever are out golfing with us always you know put the money on ash on ash I'm the, you know, she's the ringer, you know, they just, they don't, they, and along comes a 300 yard drive and people are just blown away. And that applies to more than just golf. Put the money on me. <laughs> Darn right. Darn Bet right. on me. Wait, well, I'm going well, to mute her right now. Where's, we, her, where's her mic? Hold on. We, we do need to know, how did you get hit by a golf ball? Oh, I, you know what? I grew up on a golf course. And so there's a group of us that we were friends and that's where we'd spend our summers on a, at a golf course. And so five kids. Uh, playing uh, golf and around a golf course, you're destined to get hit by a club or a golf ball or a golf whoa. cart at some any given point. So, um, but I, you know, I don't think there's any long-term damage. It so. was a rough, rough childhood. Yeah, yeah, pun intended. I went to college with a kid who had his two front teeth knocked out by a golf club. Guy's yeah. backswing or something. He had to wear like a permanent. Why are retainer. people that close to people? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> My goodness. Well, there's alcohol involved, yeah, Ed. That's, that that's a component. That is true. If I was part of the story, the answer is there was alcohol involved. Uh, real, real quick, because, and, and Lane Kiffin gets hit with it, right? So, and I don't know, you'd have to have someone in the stand saying, hey, Joey over there threw it. But Lane Kiffin's a coach on the field. Can Lane Kiffin, if it did some damage, knock some teeth out? He had to have surgery, whatever. I mean, anything could happen like Ashton with a golf ball, depending on where you get hit with it. Could he turn around and say, hey, Joey, you threw that at me, so I'm going to sue you? Yeah, absolutely. So if Joey ends up being like actually a Justin Bieber or someone with deep pockets that yes. can afford to pay any judgment, you would absolutely want to pursue them. Another thing I would recommend is if you got hurt by a flying object that came onto the field, you'd look at who was maintaining security or the event staff and see if they've been deficient. If these acts have happened before or injuries like this have occurred or there was overselling of alcohol and they could have prevented it in some way, shape or form, then that's a way to actually find a pocket that could pay you for any injuries is because they'd have the insurance important question for me personally also when i was in college um playing basketball and a guy's mouth went into my knee and two of his teeth got uh, bent pretty severely and he had to wear oh. braces for a while could, could i have gotten like sued for that definitely i don't know really? if the, probably the statute of limitations is probably well, yeah passed, hopefully but it is i now. would but I would take that case for sure. Yes. It's Just because it's you. Tyler. Yeah, You're Tyler. Yeah. Basketball. It's not my fault he tripped. No, I, no. I'm with I'm with you. There, I don't see a case. Here. All right, it's Ash versus Sam. No, yeah. I'm I'm excited for that. All Put right. your money on Ash. <laughs> yes, we You're will. gonna win. <laughs> it's Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, SamandAshLaw.com. As always, we appreciate it, guys. Thanks, you guys. Love, love it. You Thanks. Guys. Take, take care. care. Have a great week. Yeah. A lot of bad teeth with experiences with kids I went to college with. In Mississippi, a lot of bad teeth? Yeah, no, no, not, not like, well, yes, but no. <laughs> One kid had to put out by a golf club. The other kid, that was like the second day of college. Okay. Playing basketball. The kid tripped, that's on him. He didn't actually trip. He just sort of.
got pushed down and I was shooting a fadeaway and my knee went up straight into his mouth. Okay, but well, again, well, I mean, yeah, again, come on, not on you. The person the who decided to stand close <laughs> enough, the, the person who stand decided to stand close enough to the person with the backswing, that's on him. Probably he probably was drunk. He was an alcoholic. <laughs> Gee. He made margaritas in our dorm room one year. <laughs> it's a good Friday. I didn't even know I went to school with Tyler. <laughs> exactly. Coming up next, you forgot it. J.R. Starkus joins the show. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Ready for the weekend? Let's find out what's on tap. We can provide you with a wine tasting tour of Tuscany. We cannot change why you drink. It's Thirsty Thursday with J.R. Starkus. Who needs a drink? So we drink and we drink and we drink. It's only Wednesday. Not for him. J.R. Thursday, Wednesday. Doesn't, doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. No, it does not. <laughs> J.R. Stark at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. J.R., how you feeling about your Red Sox? The Red Sox, I feel great about. The uh, umpiring and oh. uh, surrounding forces, I don't feel so great about. The hell are surrounding um, I, forces? Uh, managerial decisions. You uh, clearly you know, have I, the better manager. I don't. I need to stop no, you there. You have no, the no, better no. manager. We do. We do have the better manager. But like, as soon as they, as soon as they went to the bullpen last night to put Evaldi in, I was like, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. I, I, and and Evaldi's probably the best pitcher we have. Um, you know, but it, it just, I just didn't. I didn't like it. It didn't feel right. But uh, once I saw him got uh, he got shafted out of two strikes. That uh, should have been strike three. I was like, oh god, this isn't good. And then obviously the the you know the the winds out of your sails. Once that that you know second run scores, you bring in um, Perez. He gives up five runs on two pitches or whatever it was. And I was like, this is, <laughs> this is brutal. I was like, look at that stat line. Like even though those first three runs were Evaldi's, they were charged to him. Like he he came in, gave one pitch. Three run bases clearing double, and then the next pitch another run scores. I was like, man, two pitches, four runs. Like, thanks for coming in. Wow, went right to the right to the umpire. So what? The guy missed twenty three ball strikes. What do you want? Come on, I mean, he, he, uh, you know, he, had, he had a bad night. This guy. I guess it's consistently terrible. I guess you know it's uh, yeah, that was that was ugly. Um, seeing a couple of those. Now, I guess in the scheme of things, the Red Sox didn't score in the bottom of the ninth anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered because they would have won by a run anyhow. But I just feel like there's a different energy um, to the stadium when you're not trailing by, you know, seven. JR, so it, it, it's brutal. Can you believe down 12 to three, eighth inning, Dusty Baker brought in one of his actual good relievers instead of letting like Altuve pitch the eighth inning? Absolutely. Waste, waste <laughs> of, a, of arm. What is he doing? I, 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 it's ridiculous. You have to bring in a position player there. Bring in your bullpen catcher. Like, I don't care. <laughs> You don't bring in your arm. Like all, all the Red Sox do is they're like, okay, cool, thanks. I'll just uh, I'll, I'll have a look at what pitches you're going to throw. Um, you know, you, you got to bring in some trash right there, and and you know, it's a waste. It's the end of the game. Get through it. Get your last three outs, whatever. But you can't let them see another arm from the bullpen. If that and I know the excuse some people will make is, well, you got to keep them ready. If that guy's not ready at this point in the season to pitch in a game, like <laughs> there's another problem. You know, you played 162 games plus playoff games. You better be ready to come into a game, and you don't need to have, like, you know, oh, let me use this as my, my off-day bullpen. My guess is, with all this nonsense, you're going to bring some hard liquor today. It's J.R. Starkus. Follow him on Twitter, J.R. Starkus. Brought to you by Liquor World, Southern Glares, Wine Spirits, Nevada. Okay, uh, hard liquor we go after last night. What do you got this week? Whew. So the 26th of October 
is National Mule Day. Now, I don't know if that means mule the animal or Moscow mule, uh, but I'm going <laughs> to assume it means Moscow mule. Uh, the, the very famous drink created in the 1940s, vodka, ginger beer, a little bit of lime juice, and, of course, uh, to be made in a copper mug is kind of what makes the Moscow mule its, its thing. Uh, but, you know, everybody kind of can do that for themselves at home. They all know that already. So I wanted to create uh, basically a little version or twist of that, the Moscow mule. So here's a really fun recipe that you can do with a twist on the Moscow mule. So you're going to need deep eddy lemon – or, excuse me, deep eddy lime. I've used this before in uh, several of the cocktails – Lime-flavored vodka, if you see it on the shelf, it is actually green. It is real lime in there. So it, it's, it's a really um, – if you like lime, you'll love this vodka. It's tremendous. Quite frankly, just a splash of soda sometimes gets the job done. But we're going to use deep eddy lime vodka. We're going to use a little bit of Campari. We're going to use, uh, of course, Fever Tree ginger beer, the best ginger beer. Fever Tree is the best kind of mixer on the planet, in my opinion. So Fever Tree ginger beer, a little bit of agave nectar, and lime juice. Here's how you make it. First thing you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to need like a, a double old fashioned or a rocks glass. You're going to set that to the side. Um, you're going to mix the vodka, an ounce and a half of the Deep Eddy lime, a uh, half of an ounce of fresh lime juice, and a half of an ounce of agave nectar. You're going to put that into a mixing tin. You're going to shake that together with ice. Once you're done shaking that, you're going to add the ginger beer to it. Okay? Um, you're going to add about four ounces of ginger beer to it. The reason I like to do it this way it's because now when I strain that drink from my mixing tin over fresh ice into my double old-fashioned or my rocks glass, um, as I pour it, it's kind of combining the two things together. Often what you'll see is a bartender will take the mixed drink, just the vodka, the lime juice, and the agave, and they'll strain it over ice, and then they'll top it with ginger beer. That's fine, um, except now the drink still needs to be kind of mixed together, and a lot of bartenders forget that step. So by doing it this way, it combines it together. So once you strain those items over fresh ice in the double fashion glass, you're just going to kind of float a half of an ounce of Campari over the top. Campari is a bitter Italian aperitif, uh, and it, it just kind of adds another layer. It plays incredibly well with lime, and it does very well with ginger beer. So it's, it, you're light, let, float it on the top. It will kind of cascade its way down to the bottom and uh, kind of eventually make its way to the bottom of the drink. Uh, the garnish can be just a piece of candied ginger, like I like to use. It can be a lime. doesn't have to be anything at all. Uh, but at that point, the drink is ready to go. You can give it a little stir to incorporate the Campari, or you can just kind of enjoy it as you get to the bottom and let the drink kind of do its thing as, as you sip it. But it is a wonderful, wonderful rendition of a Moscow Mule. Um, I might venture to say probably one of the best renditions I've ever done. I thought it was fantastic when I tasted it, and, um, and, and I love it, and I think everybody should try it at home. Easy ingredients, nothing there will go bad except for the lime, but, you know, it's, you know, make some tacos or drink a beer or whatever, but the, the limes, everything is just <laughs> so good for this cocktail. Is this one of your post-summer pool drinks? It is a post-summer pool drink, for sure. Um, you know what I found in my time bartending, um, you know, when I was at r Seafood, when I was at the Eiffel Tower restaurant, is especially when people come to Vegas, like the weather the weather doesn't really have an effect on the way people think to order things, right? When I would travel uh, uh, to, like, Denver to see my brother, you know, if, when it's cold outside, people are drinking Irish coffees and stuff like that. And generally just at bars here, a lot of the time, that only happens at what seems to be Irish bars. Um, but I can't tell you how many mojitos I've made in, you know, November, December, January. Um, people like what they like, and that's okay, you know, so – you know, this is a drink that, while it doesn't necessarily make sense seasonally, 
it does make sense because it's delicious um, and, and people know this beverage and that's why people are comfortable with it. And this is just another way for you to take something that you already know, tweak it a little bit and, and, and explore a whole other flavor of a drink that you're familiar with, the Moscow Mule. National Mule Day on October 26th recognizes an intelligent pack animal many mistaken to be stubborn. (laughs) Well, we're going to call it Moscow Mule, but whatever. (laughs) I mean, you could easily say after three Moscow Mules, you are uh, a pack animal that that might be a little stubborn. Uh, Did you know that George Washington wrote a letter to the King of Spain asking for male donkeys so he could breed more mules in America? I did not know that. Now you do. And the king of Spain (laughs) sent him a four-year-old donkey named Royal Gift so that they could breed mules. That's that's as good a name as Fake Horse. Royal Gift? It is a good name. Hey, Fake Horse is killing it right now. That's incredible. I did not know. Thank you for the history lesson. You know, there was a... I didn't tell Tyler this in the VGK media room yesterday waiting for DeBoer. There was a discussion about fake horses and chickens, and people were very enthusiastic about it. Ben Goats had never heard of this. It's an important conversation. I started telling him like how much people paid for it, and his yeah. face, you can ask him tomorrow when you have him on, was like, <laughs> he, it was disbelief. He's like, no, no. I said, yes, yes, they pay for these horses and these chickens. And he said, do they? who decides who wins? And I said, I think the computer, <laughs> yes. because they just push a button, and all of a sudden the race goes off. And they're off. <laughs> It's yeah, great. well, here's the thing. Ben Goat's loyal listener, obviously, because if he doesn't uh, know that you're talking about fake horses and fake chicken, oh, he's got a lot. He's to just do. learning about he's it. Got, he's covering yeah, the team. This kid, yeah. he's got a lot to do. This poor kid. By the and way, he's getting married. So uh, who cares about that? <laughs> we got fake horses and chickens. Um, I mean, some of our regulars on the show really should be getting married. <laughs> so eh, one of them. So October 29th, 30th is the start of the tournament. Uh, we're in qualifying right now, leading up to it. Qualifying's not going so well. I don't know what happened here, but a lot of our good horses are suddenly not good anymore. I think the game might have changed here. Like, I'll give you one example. Oh, no. They th- you think they're get- you're getting screwed? The horse that's in so first in, place. Man. Yeah, the horse that's in first place in one of the categories, right? Uh, the way they're judging this is how many times your, your percentage of races you finish in the top three. This horse is in first place. It has finished in the top three of 90% of its races oh. in qualifying. 90%. Prior to qualifying, in its previous 139 races, it had finished in the top three 29% of the Ooh, time. And someone now likes it. it. Now it's at 90 Got hot at the right time. Yeah, you exactly. got to get hot at the right yeah, time. You're right. This horse has never been this hot and is now in first place in qualifying. It's something changed. So you're saying someone's cheating. I don't know. They, or they juiced the horse. They might have. Because a lot some of our horses <laughs> that are normally like good racers are just like Goodwill Rush, who's been one of our best racers ever. She has not hit the podium during qualifying. So what does this mean for you even being in the tournament? Well, we've got probably four horses that have a legit shot to make it. Um they we had a bad day yesterday. But we got four four horses that they got a shot. We got we got another seven or eight days of qualifying. Well, yeah. So they got they we got four eight four horses or so that's good. They got a legit shot to qualify for this tournament. I don't know if they have any really chance to win it once we get there, but we should we should get a horse or two in at least. Well wait a minute. Now you can pay for I know you can pay for a lot of weird stuff like to, to buy <laughs> things, you know, like a coat for your horse to keep it warm when they race in cold weather or whatever. Can you pay to juice your horse? Is that no, legal in this? We would, be, uh, we be, would be cheating. We would oh, have been cheating the whole time. He's an Astros fan. Yeah, you kidding me? Be shooting that horse of left course. and right. Absolutely cheating. No, you cannot. You can't do anything. Like, there's no feeding them or sheltering them. There's nothing. They just exist. They race wow. and they breed. That's it.
Well, it sounds like we have a loophole in a new system. Yes. Uh, Tyler, let's get together after the show and build something. JR, we expect uh, something uh, with chocolate as we get into the fall. Of course, for you, my friend, I will do <laughs> that for you. Uh, chances are it will happen when you're not on the show because yes. that's how it seems to work out. But, uh, you know, maybe one day if I'm ever in studio again, you'll actually get to taste one of these concoctions. Instagram, JR makes drinks. He'll have all of this up there later today. Key account executive, Southern Glaciers Wine Spirits Nevada, brought to you by Liquor World, our extreme mixologist. Thanks, JR. You bet, guys. Have a good weekend. Dumb Red Sox fans. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. It's ridiculous. Why does he get off the air? That's ridiculous. Uh, Jared, I know you told me this earlier, but I forgot what you told me. Do Seltzerland. We, have, we do have tickets to give away to go to Seltzerland, 702. 702- 364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100 if you want to go out to Seltzerland. we got a couple of tickets. It's Saturday, October 23rd out at Angel Park Golf Club. You can spend the afternoon tasting 30-plus unique hard seltzer. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number five. At this point, I don't care about that man, honestly. He does whatever he wants. Uh, you know, that's not my job. Uh, you know, that's those guys' jobs. Uh, you know, I'm only focused on trying to make the team better, uh, win some games, uh, you know, play hard every night, uh, try to lead, you know, the guys that we have here. Uh, and I'm sure they feel the same way because, you know, our chemistry has been excellent. Despite you know everything that's been happening in the last few months, you're locked in the press box. I love Joel Embiid. Guy's great. I don't want anything to do with that man. <laughs> it's actually great. Is there? I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people in my life that I'm like, eh, I have to work with them, but I want nothing to do with them outside. I don't the, uh, get studio. the opportunity to just go in public and be yes. like, let me tweet this out. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with time, <laughs> but I'll show up every day. <laughs> I mean, like if I showed up and refused to talk into the microphone, you might be able to say that out loud. And yeah. for some reason, I wasn't fired. Like I, like I just still here. And like you told me, hey, the the mic's on, talk, and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not doing that. <laughs> like that'd be the comparison. Or if like Ed's making a point, and I'm just not even just on my phone. He looks at me like what. I just don't pay. Any I don't want anything to, to do with say. this man. Yeah, it's great. But so, all right, Joel Embiid's great. Carlos Correa is great. Did you see what Correa did with uh, Eduardo Rodriguez? So game one, Carlos Correa hits the home run that gives the Astros right. the lead. That. And Carlos Correa in the postseason has started celebrating by pointing to his wrist, saying it's my time. Right. That's he's done it twice, but that's been a celebration when he hits a home run in game three. Eduardo Rodriguez struck out Correa, and as Rodriguez walked back to the dugout, and started watched. pointing at his wrist, saying, whose time is it? Right, okay. Right, and Alex Cora, the Red Sox manager, immediately started yelling at Eduardo Rodriguez not to do that and to be humble and all that. Well, Correa, when asked about it, was like, absolutely not. That guy should do- be doing that. He strikes me out. Like, this is what makes baseball fun. And he's like, "There's no, he shouldn't apologize." I did see, for I did it. see where Korea told yeah. his guy, "Knock it off." Yeah, and and so Carlos Correa's over here, like, "Come on, let him do it." This is what's fun about baseball: is I I have a celebration, you strike me out, you get to mock right. my celebration. That's how it works. So I love that. I love that about Embiid would do the same thing. Correa's like that. I love those types of athletes. Those are the ones we need. Does UNLV love being picked seventh in the Mountain West Conference? Probably not. No, probably not. Although I was trying to think about this, they're picked seventh today in the preseason poll. If I was, I didn't fill out a poll, but if I was, I, I don't know. I probably, I think I would have gone like fifth, 
But I, I think there's a lot of people across the league looking at the roster saying, who are those people other than Bryce Hamilton? Where would we pick them? I mean, we, nobody knows what it's going to look like. Yeah, it's a big unknown. And it's like, it's fair to not know what they're going to be. Seventh is about as low as it can get because then after you're getting that into some just really bad teams. Right. It's the New Mexico, Wyoming, San Jose State, yeah, and yeah. Air Force. And Air Force. Um, and if you're picked below any of those four, you suck. Uh, I think this is basically people saying, well, we don't think they're going to suck. But we don't really know if they're going to be good. Right. And so basically UNLV's got a shot to be like the surprise of the league sure. or whatever, because if they finish the Utah the, state of a couple of years yeah, ago, if they finish third or something, it'd be, you know, hey, you picked them to finish seventh and they finished third, but it comes back to, yeah. Who's on this team. Are any of those guys any good? Why would we know if Michael Nuga from Kent state's anything is going to play any well? Why yeah, would exactly. we know if uh, Donovan Williams or Victor Ewalker or Royce yeah. Ham coming from big 12 schools or, are they going to be any good? Like they never played there. They got seven minutes a game or something. Now they're going to get 27. They're going to be any good. Right. Like you, you don't know, like UNLV hopes they're good. You know, he's really counting on them being good. But yeah, if I was another, if I was covering another school or coaching another school, I'm like, okay, cool. Like it's UNLV. You guys haven't been good in eight years. Why would we pick you to be good now? Just because you got some transfers in. So I guess it's the only way to go is up. If you're UNLV, you can't really underperform. I guess you could, but Oh, that'd be, be a bad, bad season. Yeah. Because New Mexico, Wyoming, San Jose. Although Wyoming played well at the end of last year. I haven't kept up on their roster. I guess it surprises me a little they're that far down because um, they did play well at the end of last year. It does not surprise me that Colorado State with Roddy is picked. They have everyone back picked to win it. Um, I thought Reno would be second, San Diego State second. They got a lot of first place votes. So it was real close with Colorado State. And then Reno with Sherfield, I thought was going to be second. Um, Boise, we'll see. I'm Boise fourth. I think that's more reputation. I don't know if Boise's finishing fourth. Well, who'd you pick ahead of them? I might have picked UNLV ahead of them. Really? I might have. Because right. I would get, not have gone lower than fifth with UNLV. I would to, not have gone fit lower than fifth. There's clearly a top and Fresno. Three. I don't know who he has. So yeah, he has well, he has one really good player in Robinson. Yeah, it's just a team that's been a solid sixth, right. sixth best Mountain West team for a few years now. But like the top three is pretty obvious. Colorado State, yes. San Diego State, Nevada, whatever order, whatever. But those are the top three. After that, like Utah State's taken a step back. Like yes. they don't have Kata anymore. I mean, right. they, they've lost Merrill and Kata, the two guys that really led them to being a NCAA tournament They have Brock team. Miller. He's 37. So <laughs> they, do. That's, they do have Brock Miller. And somehow he looks older than yes, that. Yes, exactly. Um, he but, only looks 40. But sort of that's the, the top tier is those top three. And then the second tier, Boise State, Utah State, Fresno State. No idea. And probably UNLV's in that tier too. Yes. Like, no that's, clue. That's the middle tier of the Mountain West. And then the bottom tier is the other four teams. So... Yeah, I mean, UNLV, I I think at the end of the day, they're going to end up probably 10 and 8 in Mountain West play, something Which along those like lines. Fifth. Yeah, Four like I, fifth. I don't think they're going to be a contender for this conference. Do I think they're going to finish seventh? No, I think they'll be a little better. I think they'll seven. be better than seventh. But I don't think it's going to be like a great season. I think it's going to be a year where Michigan, Six, Michigan, wins. Yeah, Michigan beats them up. UCLA beats them up. They have a tough time with some of these other non-conference games like Cal and, and right. some of the other teams they're playing. And then conference play will be a, a grind because they're not going to be significantly better than most teams they play. Right. They'll be significantly better than the bottom four, most likely. But outside of that, like... They're winning the Mountain West Tournament. If you, probably. It'd be fun. Can they do that for once? That'd be kind of cool. It's actually on their home court. Maybe make the semis once? That would be cool, too.